Fuck. <laughs> I'm Andy. I'm Kana. Mm. He's the messy drunk. Uh, and we're, what, episode 48 then? The last episode is 47? 48, yeah. We wrapped yeah. that up really fast. I don't think we kind of did any of the proper thing we usually meant to do at the end, so... Um, yeah. Do you want to do that quickly now? Well, Attack this on now and then... Yeah, so we're still at Felons Brewery in uh, yep. Brisbane uh, near the Story Bridge. Um, it's um, a pretty impressive setup. It's lovely. You know, I, I found out that they do beer yoga here on a Monday's afternoon. What the fuck is beer yoga? You have a beer and then do yoga, or you have well, yoga, you do yoga and then yoga, have beer. beer, or you have your beer while you're having yoga while you're doing your yoga. Like you have to do you know like your your star stretch down to your legs, pick up your beer, have a drink, put it back down, other leg, pick up your other beer. I see him more like when you're doing downward dog and you kind of come down and... <laughs> Actually, when I went in to go get us a uh, drink, so you're still on the... What was it? I think the I'm cider. still on the treehouse cider. The treehouse cider. Yes. And I'm now on the uh, the IPA, the Felon's IPA. Oh, so you're working your way down the list. How's the IPA? Is it strong? Um, it's a lot more higher in alcohol. It's 6.2. Yep. Mighty fine. Okay. I think of the now four that I've had here. Yes. Yes. Well. <laughs> Ambie will be going to the gym tomorrow. Um, my preference is the IPA and the Australian Pale Ale. I like the net. Actually, to be honest, though, they were all really quite nice, nice beers. Yes. But your personal preference. Yeah. For, yeah. And normally you're the beer man, but you're the cider man today. So Although you know. Recently, the last couple of episodes, I've been doing cider. I think. Yep. I need to move back to doing beer again. It's just been cider weather. I thought cider weather for you was hot weather. Well, it's not like it gets cold up here, Andy. We have put on though, like a little pullover jumper thing. Only in solidarity to everyone else, it looks like they're cold. They are. Actually, one thing when I was ordering the, the drinks, the thing I like about actually having this at a brewery is like they're making beer. Yeah. Like literally, I was in there. I could, I could, you could smell the malt and the was, hops and, and the yeah, hops. Yeah, it was yeah. like, oh. it's very nice, isn't it? Yeah. It is very nice. Um, look, so let's not let's not um, delay the um, big ticket item for this particular episode much longer. Yeah, we know people um, are interested in us. No, they'll listen to the interview and then they'll fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> um, Baron von Powell. Baron von Powell. We had the um, pleasure to interview just yes. recently. Um, and look, have a listen and we'll have a chat at the end of it. I thought it was, a, it was a very interesting what he had to say. It was very, very interesting. So have a listen and we'll be back in a sec. Obviously, you go by the sure. handle Baron von Powell. I've actually noticed some of your maps have also just been as just Baron Powell. Um, and I'm assuming it's like some derivative of your, your real name. Do you normally just play under your... Yes. It's, my actual name is Baron Powell. Oh, really? Okay. The, yeah. And there are not very many of us over here, believe me. And it, it's with one R, unlike Trump's son, who has two R's. But... Uh, the von von Powell comes in because when I was in Germany, everyone thought that was a title. <laughs> oh, so I just thought it made a interesting call sign. 
Like and that. a lot of people actually think that is my name. So, <laughs> so there it is. Nothing mysterious about that. My, uh, my nickname in, in high school was Von Heller. And uh, Von Heller, the, apparently uh, he was a wrestler or something like that. But uh, when I tried to register that, when I first got on email, someone had taken it already. So that's, that's how I ended up with Ron Powell. Awesome. Very, very good. Okay, well, um, we, uh, and do you kind of you play face-to-face a bit? I, I have played. You'll, you'll be amazed at how infrequently I have play, actually played the game. I have played exactly one face-to-face game. Oh, wow. That's it. And I have only played three at the time. It was, uh, one was a postal and two were email games. So a grand total of three games, and I'm proud to say I won all of them. But I found that actually playing was such a toll in time and emotional energy that I found GMing to be much more fun. So uh, primarily I've stayed in the hobby via game design and via GMing, not as a player. That's that's, that's really interesting. I uh, recently um, held, held a game of complete newbies and as, as the only experienced person in the room, I, the, the job of GMing fell to me. And I found it really fascinating to watch who was talking to who, when they were talking, who wasn't talking, and who just that plain, had no plain idea about what was going on. And it was, a, it was a really fascinating sort of point of view to the game to be observing it, but being integral to it. Do you know what I mean? I, I also believe that face-to-face is not my best medium anyway. I, I truly miss the postal game. I used to love postal diplomacy because when I would correspond with other players, it would take me a couple of hours to craft a letter so that it said exactly what I wanted it to say and made all the points I wanted it to make and was nebulous when I wanted it to be and clear when I wanted it to be, and off it went. I found, and one of the reasons I, I stopped playing too, email became too fast for me, if you can believe that. And now that they're turning to other mediums, where like Slack, where communication is near instantaneous, I, I just wouldn't be able to keep up. The flood tide of messages that could come in is, is just overwhelming. I can so, attest to that because I mean I've I've been in in um, one of the to- the tournament through time which was run out of play dip where uh, oh, a number yeah of, yeah yeah I you know about that yes. I was observing that game and uh, and in doing so participating obviously with Slack as one of the main means to communicate with everybody um, I was just overwhelmed with how many messages were going back with and forth and the trouble I had was being on the other side of the globe and when you know 80 90 percent of the players are in, in in the North America and they're keeping to that time zone 
um, I would usually kind of mm-hmm. log in after waking up in the morning and there'd be like pages and pages and pages and pages of comments. And it's like, I can't even keep up with this. It's just crazy. Well, Ryan Rutledge alone would generate 15 pages worth of message. And <laughs> that, that was my thought too. I, I don't know if I've just become less adept at managing my time or I have more to do, or I'm just slowing down, probably a combination of all three. But I would open up Slack like, like you, and I'd, I'd be inundated with hundreds of messages. And I'd go, holy cow. And you know, it, it just ate a, ate a lot of time. And that was another reason I liked GMing a whole lot more. So you've played, so, one, you've played one face-to-face, three online games, and you were beforehand obviously doing a lot of postal. How, how many postal games did you play over the years? Or how, how many years did you play postal for? You misunderstood me. I, okay. I played one face-to-face game. I played two postal games and one email game. Okay. That's it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, so, it, it sounds like I don't know anything about the hobby. But uh, actually, first off, I, I, I am fascinated by this game. I, th- I think diplomacy, the, the idea of negotiating instead of using dice and making the players the random variable, it's, it's genius. I'm sure there are other games out there that may have a similar mechanism, but I've never encountered that before. So it, it's true that games can be different even when you have the same players involved. But uh, my very first game, I, I was inspired to sign up for a game in a hobby publication called Graustark. Uh, have you guys heard of that? I haven't. No. Graustark was a postal thing that was run by John Boardman. And it, it became a staple in the hobby. He was one of the first to operate the postal Zen concept and he ran it right up until he died a few years ago and and the the turn sequences were like uh, you would have a full month to negotiate and given that letters took about a week to deliver and a week back and so it, the communications were a lot slower it's almost in, <laughs> it's beyond the imagination of anyone today just how slow it was by the at the time, I, I had a job that was incredibly busy, so I, I relished the slower pace of it. And like I said, that that first game, I, I played Austria-Hungary, which uh, I'm, I'm rather partial to the Austro-Hungarians. They're they're kind of a study of mine. So I was very pleased when I managed to talk or stab my way to victory in that. And the game was entirely brand new players. This was when diplomacy was getting featured in Avalon Hills General, and I believe it was Rod Walker was starting to write articles about the game, and it stirred up a lot of interest in the U.S., and several of us all had signed up with John, and so he lumped us all together in what he called the beginner's game. 1986 Alpha Zulu, and yeah, it was, I had a blast. But I got to admit, I was glad when it finally ended, not only because I liked the result, but 
I had taken on an even busier job, and I just didn't have the time, any time. So that was my first foray into playing, and I didn't return again until I think it was 1994. When, and I think that was an email game, now that I think about it. No, no, I take it back. It was 1994 Hotel Lima. It was also with Graustark. And I ended up doing a two-way. I was Turkey and my compatriot was Russia. And then the last game was the email game. And I was Italy to my allies, Turkey. And again, we ended up with a two-way. And then I said, hmm, I think I'll stop playing for a while because I'm, I'm just getting overwhelmed here. And it was about that time, I want to say it was 1998, I was reading an article in Diplomacy World. And the title of the article was Improving New Improved Diplomacy or something to that effect. And it, oh, I think it was Steve Agar who wrote it. And all it was was a series of comments on map changes that had he had proposed in an earlier article. And I, I liked some of them. I didn't like others. But it prompted me to write a letter back to the editor. And I, I can't remember who the editor was in 98. But uh, it, was, it was a long enough letter that he decided to publish it as a separate article in Diplomacy World. And I got a letter myself from one of the readers saying, hey, if I recruit the players, would you be willing to GM a game of, of your variant? I said, sure. I, I'd never thought it would come to that. So I spent the next couple of months drawing a map of this variant, which is, it became the variant 1900. And he recruited the players and 1900 has been going since 1998 but that's how i got introduced to gming so 1900 must be one of the longer running variants out there then um i, w I would say so i have records of about 500 games played and I'm, I'm sure there were games out there that I, I haven't been able to keep track of. But I, I continuously get letters from people who have read the Gamer's Guide, who have stumbled across it, who were introduced to it by friends and fans. And they go, hey, I got a question about this, or can you tell me more about that? But uh, yes, uh, it had its own real politics program designed for it and it it got loaded onto dp judge and then it got loaded onto several other sites and to be honest i'm i'm just quite pleased with the exposure the variant has had over the years well i my, my first exposure to 1900 came from v diplomacy um but i i i think we interviewed was it alex ronke um and yeah. Yeah, um, and we we had a discussion around it. It then, um, I just think it's a glorious map, Baron. I mean, and and 
I've, I've not played it myself, but I know Ambi has, and that whole idea of having Siberia as a backup build going on there for Russia. Um, how did you come across? How did you come up with that concept of having like a, you know, a reserve army for Russia? Well, it, it was kind of interesting. I, I do believe I've got to give credit to Steve Agar for the idea of Siberia as a, as a kind of build center. A lot of the things that were introduced in 1900, I, I, I can't say were generally my idea, where I came in was designing a, a map of the variant that included North Africa and that attempted to sort of make the world rounder by exposing Turkey to the other European powers and increasing interaction so that, you know, as, as the British player, you had to talk with the Turk as the, as the, it was just the other thing that really bothered me about traditional diplomacy that I thought I could correct with 1900 was to make Germany the type of powerhouse that it was historically. I've always believed that Germany in traditional diplomacy is far too weak, although it's just about average when you look at its statistics. But um, Russia was an interesting study, and the map was interesting if I may just go into some details there, when when I first set out to design 1900, my intent was not to radicalize diplomacy too much. There were some changes I felt I, I should make for historical accuracy, such as the Balkans, which uh, diplomacy starts in 1900 or 1901 is the first turn of a regular diplomacy game. But the map is of Europe in 1913. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that, that might strike some people as nah, no big deal, but I, I just thought that was very strange. So I drew the map. That if the game started in 1901, I said, well, well, we'll just start it at the turn of the century. And I, that's what I used as my basis for my map. Yeah. So... And, and actually, so, I, I really I, like that myself because, I mean, I'm, and Kana knows this, a bit of a historical nerd, and I feel exactly the same way, which is why this map appeals to me as well. Because, yes, you've got, you know, the Turks still in, in Macedonia. You've got a, an actual um, a British presence in, in Egypt. You've got a French presence in, in Algeria. Um, you know, you, and actually don't, you also have, like, those neutrals that existed, which, um, you know, in that early you know, decade of the 20th century, uh, existed and then ended up being points of um, at least diplomatic, if not real, conflict between the players, such as Tripoli. Obviously, later on, Italy went over and, and took that. Uh, Morocco, obviously, later on, as a result of some of the uh, uh, the high-powered stakes going on in Europe, eventually became a bit of a French protectorate. So, um, and even having the British in Gibraltar, I think, is just uh, the fleet there. I think is just a wonderful. Um, historically accurate way of displaying it have you kind of found i mean with those 500 games that have gone on uh what the feedback has been around not just the the obviously the historical aspects but the the balance of the game compared to a classic map baron i 
I have, as a matter of fact, and I've, I've been tracking that very closely myself. Uh, like I said, I, re- I recorded just about every game I knew of from that very first playtest to I, I have a pretty comprehensive record through 2016. Since then, I, 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 I kind of backed off that to focus on another project I was working on. But what I've discovered is Germany is the strongest power. It was kind of intended to be that way, and it is. Turkey is the weakest power. But with the exception of the fact that Germany is, is slightly ahead, well, I shouldn't say even slightly, Germany is clearly ahead of the other powers, but the others are all clumped together pretty tightly. So the difference between number two, Austria, Eh, Austria-Hungary, and number seven, Turkey, is, is just not that great. And that the, uh, so in, in one way, I'm very pleased with the balance because anyone can enter the game now with a reasonable expectation of winning. The gap between the powers, it isn't tremendously greater than regular, but it, but it, they are closer together. So sure. I, I, had, I really think, too, I, I found it amazing. Germany was not quite as strong until the game got introduced on, on this site called PlayDip. Yep. Ever since it appeared on PlayDip, it was like 20 of the first 25 games on PlayDip. Germany won. It was incredible. And... Only recently, well, I shouldn't say recently because, again, I stopped tracking in, in 2016, but uh, I noticed it was finally starting to even out a little bit more, and the, and the German ranking was starting to fall. But it, it's because it was so, so successful on Playtip, it's kind of skewed, skewed the records for them. But if you take all the games combined, it's, it's still pretty close. And if you guys are interested, I can email you a copy of the records I have maintained, and you can kind of look for yourself to see how things went. There were there were two significant rule changes that took place over the life of diplomacy. When uh, when I first introduced the game, like I said earlier, my my intent was to make it familiar to diplomacy players, so they wouldn't look at the map and just go, "Ugh, this this looks so alien," but uh, so, for example, I didn't dramatically redesign Austria-Hungary from how it appears in classic diplomacy. I changed the unit configurations a bit, but I, I, I kept the same raci- uh, relationship between the spaces. If, if I was starting from scratch today, I would redraw Austria-Hungary on, along more historical lines. Same thing with Italy. But uh, after we played about 50 games, it was very clear Russia was just getting annihilated. It, it, it was pathetically weak. So I said, if I don't do something very quick, people are going to go, well, I, you know, if I draw Russia, I'm as good as dead, so I'm not going to play that. So I, in consultation with numerous other people that had played diploma, or 1900 before, we talked about how we might fix Russia, and we came up with a rule that was called the steamroller. 
And basically, the steamroller was very much like the current rule, but stronger. And shortly after the introduction of the steamroller, Russia won, and then it started winning and winning and winning and winning. And it again, after about 50 games, it was clear I, we'd overdone it. So we temporized and came up with the current rule, the what we call the Russian Emergency Measures Rule. And as a result, Russia plays just about right now. And uh, I'm, I'm very pleased with the balance. And while there are still some tweaks I'd like to make to the map now to make it completely well, I shouldn't say completely, but more historically accurate. In many ways, 1900 has become like Monopoly. It's just one of those games where people recognize it and play it, and they played it for a while, and I'm not so sure how pleased they'd be to have another version come out. So even though I've been attempted at times to tweak it, I, I say it's working and don't break it. So I've left it alone since. Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, I, I've... I've... I've played this, uh, the variant once. I played it over at Play Diplomacy um, and soloed the borders as Russia. So, um, um, and mind you, at the, at the time, I, I was kind of thinking, geez, you know, the fact that they've got this rule for the emergency situations with Siberia, I thought well, I must have um, drawn a, a, a poor country. But um, yeah, it worked out quite well, I felt. Uh, but then again, that this, every game is different, isn't it? It, it really is. And what I what I found is I really expected with the additional power that Germany has to see more like English, British, French, German triples. Very rare, as it turns out. I expected Germany to be much more aggressive opening to the east. Hardly happens at all. Uh, and... <laughs> And by the way, that was one of the problems that we discovered in the early playtesting is Germany would take all the builds it gets on the first turn of the game, and together with Austria, they would just move east, and they'd absolutely crush the Russians. Well, now the Russians can put up more of a fight, and it just works out better. And I'm, I'm glad to hear you had success with it. I've, I've just got a, a, a small question. Sure. Does does Iceland ever get used in like it's just this island up there that does it does it get used? Do people use that strategically? <laughs> well, funny you should ask. In the very first play test, Iceland was actually a supply center. Wow. Oh, okay. And here's this will probably come as no surprise at all. Britain took it very quickly and then went on to roll the board. <laughs> it was just a, an astonishing performance by the British player. And I said, you know, maybe we've made things just a bit too cozy. So I turned Ireland into a neutral, and your, your hunch is spot on. I would say in all of those games, Iceland has been used maybe five times. Yeah. Less than 10 times for sure. Yep. Same thing with Arabia. Down in the other corner. Hardly ever used. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I don't see why you would particularly use that. Kind of like um, 
Armenia and standard occasionally used. Oh, I um, mean, you'd use if you were Turkey or Russia and you're trying to invade each other through the back door. Yeah, right. not Particularly um, if you've got a stalemate in the Black Sea. Yeah, true. But I, I could see no reason not to have it as an open space. And I thought that doing so would, leaving it as a playable space, would help mitigate against stalemate lines. And in that regard, I'm, I'm also very pleased with 1900. While, while a stalemate line or two have been found, they're not easy to construct. And I've, I've only, in fact, I've never seen a, a player that successfully used a stalemate line to hold up the game. That's good. Well, that's good, yeah. Uh, they, they've discovered them but they, they haven't actually used them. So I, I was very pleased with that. Excellent. Um, get, yeah. Sorry, Ken, did you have a question you wanted to ask? No, I was going to say, that I guess on map design, that's kind of segues into the other variant that you're quite well known for, Baron, and that's Ambition and Empire. <laughs> it's com it was completely different from 1900. I had been contacted by Jeff Case, who, who lives in Minnesota, and he asked me if I wanted to co-design a variant with him. And I must admit to some reluctance on my part to do that, because you, you just never know how well you're going to work with a particular partner, whether you'll agree on things or whether you'll argue to the death, and so... It was with some hesitancy, and it turned out to work wonderfully. Jeff and I were able, on the few issues that we didn't agree on, we were able to compromise and come up with this variant. And it is so different from 1900 in so many ways. Now, if you're familiar with ambition and empire through Tournament Through Time, I assume. I am, yep. Well, and, yep. He's he's spoken to me quite extensively about it. That is, that was like that's version six uh -huh. of ambition and empire because uh, we would tweak it and then we'd tweak it again and then we tweak it here. Uh, during the initial stage of the design, when we looked at the map, because. I, I said to Jeff, unlike 1900, I want to design this map to be as historically accurate as I possibly can. Now, we're still talking about the days before Wikipedia existed, and you know, now I could look up any map of any time period I wanted. It would it, it, just jump off the screen at me. Back then, you actually had to go through books or magazines, and it's like, oh, Here's a map of Poland in 1763, uh, you know, and trying to find the internal boundaries was almost impossible. I was able to do it for, like, the French and the Germans, but some of the other countries, it was, it was just kind of a swag, you know, Russia, for instance. So I really had to hunt to find source material that I could use to justify how some of the, the positions were drawn. You know, Poland in particular was a 
proved to be a real troublesome <laughs> nut to crack. But after we laid out our initial draft, we had what we discovered was this swath of neutrals running from Italy all the way up to the shores of Denmark. And we went, hmm, this is a problem because countries like France and Prussia and Austria are just going to eat up all these neutrals, and countries like Denmark and Russia and Sweden are going to starve to death, and this, yeah, this won't work. And that's where we came up with what I consider probably our, our one gift to diplomacy, uh, variant designers everywhere, and that is the diplomacy point. And have have you ever heard of? Oh, I I can't remember the exact name myself now. It was like bid diplomacy, where diplomacy. Yeah, like one player plays England and another player plays Turkey, and they they would bid to control the units belonging to the other powers. Well, I. I had watched a couple games. It was they were kind of interesting, and I said, you know, the idea of bidding. I wonder if I can use it in an ambition and empire, and we came up with the diplomacy point system, which added all kinds of layers to negotiations because the results of who bid on what are not published, so you have players swearing fealty to each other, and then each of them is working through diplomacy points to completely undercut the other. And I I just, again, I was very pleased with the results. You might be surprised to learn that Poland actually has a better record overall in ambition and empire than England does. uh, It has a solo to its credit. Uh, it It was a remarkable game. It, it has drawn many times, but uh, and and that is because people have got to stop looking at it as oh, Poland against Austria is going to get crushed. Poland against Prussia, yeah, they're down three to two. Well, that isn't how diplomacy should be played. The the pole, if he looks at his position, should be looking for other players. And that's where you use those diplomacy points as bargaining chips to form coalitions that can get controls of the miners, stifle their enemies, help their allies, and it all works. So it isn't Poland against, it isn't one-on-one combats, it's coalition-on-coalition combat that I thought was interesting. That particular, let's see, uh, I'm trying to remember how that game in Tournament Through Time who ended up winning that? Was that France? Um, I, don't, I, I, don't I don't know if it's an actual uh, a solo. It doesn't look like a solo on the board. It looks like it's probably reached the stage where the um, the time. That's right. That's right. Finished. Uh, but it, but looking at the map, there was the the, the highest place player was um, Spain, I think, on twelve supply centers. France on ten. Um, Britain seven. Russia six. Russia um, Prussia six. And then they've got a couple of others like Sweden on two and then the Ottomans on one. Right. Yeah, I, I remember that now. And, and that was a kind of bizarre game because they had the artificial constraint of the game will end on this turn. 
Mm-hmm. And it's the score of the team at the end of the tournament that wins. So I was the the players in charge of Spain. That was let's see, Ryan and uh, goodness, I, I'm not the names. I have a terrible time remembering names, but the four players who were part of that team mapped out a strategy of how they were going to play the tournament from the start, yep. and it affected how they played each of the variants in turn. And therefore, I, even though that was, I, I enjoyed watching it, I was, I was very grateful for Alex for including it in the tournament. I don't include it in my records for Ambition and Empire because it wasn't a separate, distinct game unto itself. No, you're 100% correct. Uh, I mean, in, in a normal sense, that would be, you know, called metagaming, the fact that you obviously came in with a predetermined alliance even before the game started. But um, being a tournament exactly. and, and the nature of it, it uh, made sense because, um, you know, our, I, I was on one of those teams. Uh, I didn't actually play the Ambition and Empire round, uh, but... Uh, which round did you... Uh, what team were you on and which round did you play? Uh, well, we were the Baratheons. Ah, Okay. Yeah. So, um, and I played the eighteen twelve overture game. Although that being said, I was experiencing some uh, difficulties at the time. I think I was halfway through the game, and I was away camping and, and was losing and couldn't get you know mobile system, um, signals. So, I think I, I, a player stepped in on my behalf. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> but no, it was it was a, it was a very interesting experience. And and you were one hundred percent correct also with the nature of of the diplomacy points because I have previously played on uh, Playdiff's uh, forum the um, game of Disillusion, which obviously also uses the um, the dip point system to allocate um, how you do things. Actually, well, that's used for that's used for nuclear points and things, isn't it? I can't remember. Anyway, similar concept. Yes. Uh, by the way, I, I have not played Disillusion, but I've watched it played. First of all, I think that that is one of the most beautiful maps I have ever seen. It's an absolute work of art. I, I thought Alex did a superb job with his graphics and such. I, we would need to play several more games before we could determine how balanced it is as a variant. But I, I can assure you it's the type of game that would attract a person like me because I'm attracted by beautiful maps and that, that one is absolutely stunning. And Alex does such a good job as a, a game master too. He's, he's arguably one of the best. But, uh, yep, the, the diplomacy point mechanism, which appears in several other variants now and created by players who had played Ambition and Empire or my other variant, the, the latest project, uh, College of Cardinals. It, uh, I, I think there, it has merits, particularly in games where the map might not be balanced. Those are the types of maps that I think just scream for a mechanism like diplomacy points. Can you, can you talk to us about your latest project, Baron? Absolutely. The uh, College of Cardinals started in 2010 when I, I received a message from Timothy Hayward 
And he, like Jeff Case years before, said, hey, would you be interested in designing a variant with me? It would be based on this. And his focus, he was a scholar of the Middle Ages. He had, he had written a thesis paper on the investiture controversy regarding the papacy. And he wanted to turn that into a diplomacy game. And I wrote back to him and I said, Tim, thank you very much. I'm kind of busy right now, but uh, I I appreciate you contacting me. Have a nice day. Well, he sent me the map and the rules. And I took one look at it, and I noticed there was a Byzantine position. And I said, well, any game that has Byzantium in it should at least merit a look. So I sent him some comments. The map was very, very crude, and the rules were completely unworkable. And that was kind of what I said to him the first time. So, but he, my goodness, was he persistent. And pretty soon, we were in full collaboration on a game that we finally settled on a starting year of 1170. And... After much, 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 much debate, we had 10 players. And we, we went for historical accuracy with the maps, because by now Wikipedia was online. And so I could look up something. Well, one of the positions is the Almohad Caliphate that was based out of Marrakesh. And I could, I could look, and there's actual maps, oh boy, with internal divisions and everything. And we were able to... So I took it upon myself to design the map with drafts constantly being sent to Tim for critique and comment. And we worked together on the rules, and we decided and I kind of pushed this through, that we would use diplomacy points. We spent tons of time designing a mechanism that would enable us to recreate crusades. We had a separate papal... The the gist of Tim's original design was that the Catholic players could elect one of their members to be the Pope, and the Pope would have special prerogatives. So we had to come up with a mechanism on how to elect the Pope and how to keep the Pope from being too powerful and how to do this and how to do that. It's, it is not a simple game by any stretch of the imagination. Now, one of diplomacy's virtues is its charming simplicity. There's hardly any rules to diplomacy. Well, you've played Dissolution, and Dissolution and College of Cardinals, I'd say, are about equal in their complexity. It is a relatively complex game, but it, it takes into account the religious schisms that existed in Europe at the time, and the power of the papacy, and after each playtest, we had our first playtest in 2013, and had one like every year until 2016. <clears throat> and 
we we were constantly tweaking it. Well, unfortunately, during the last game, which I think was yeah, I started it in February of 2018. I was out on a bicycle ride and I crashed and broke my hip. Yeah. And <laughs> to say that uh, kind of put the kibosh on the momentum of the game, somehow we kept it alive and afloat, and it it finished in a uh, in a solo. But uh, oh, by the way, Hungary won that solo. The <clears throat> Tim and I both have been on sabbatical since that game ended because I just the steam went out of the game and. It's Real such a good game. Yeah. Such can, a good game. Can, I can't let it die, but I just don't have the mental energy to work on it right now. So it's kind of sitting in limbo. We know what we want to do, and we will get to it, but it probably won't be until after I retire from my job in a couple months and I have more time to dedicate to it that I'll start investing energy in it again. Sure. But it is, uh, it is a beautiful game. I, I truly love it. But it's not for everybody. Just like Dissolution is not for everybody. Yeah, I love the sound of it. I've, I've played a couple of cruise games set around the Crusades period. Um, and they all kind of, because of the, the mechanics with diplomacy, it's the, the, the nations or the powers that were involved with the crusades it, it it it's actually quite difficult to get units from say france or england to actually be involved in in the, in the holy land somehow so i'm just i'm really interested in that mechanism that you've set up that you've touched on how, how does that work in sort of well this, out, yeah we we have certain triggers so for example if a islamic power took one of the crusader states that would trigger a call the pope had the option and again not mandatory he had the option of declaring a crusade now participation in the crusades isn't mandatory but if the crusade is successful then the crusading power could claim the captured supply center as his own, and that goes for all of the powers that participated in the crusade. Plus, while he's out crusading, he has the gift of papal protection. So if another Catholic power attacks him, that Catholic player is excommunicated, and being excommunicated is just not a pleasant thing. Actually, I saw that in and the game rules, again, but I couldn't understand what that means. I mean, like, obviously, in, in a real life, if you were in, in 1170 to be excommunicated from the Pope, is, you know, obviously you've damned your soul to, a, you know, living hell in eternity. Uh, but how does that well, actually, how does that work in the, in the game? Well, for instance, um, your diplomacy points, you, you can't use them on Catholic minor powers anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't vote in the papal elections anymore. Half of your units, to show that how strong the pull of Catholicism was, you can't move half of your units while you're excommunicated. Okay. So it just shows how the monarch and 
the, the dynasty in charge of that particular Catholic power, if they're excommunicated, they're, they're truly handicapped vis-a-vis their fellow Catholics. And so, it, it is truly so, a deterrent. It, it's just not something that a player wants to do is to lose the mobility of half of his units. Now, the other players don't know which units he is going to, to hold, so it isn't like they can necessarily take advantage of them. And our time mechanism, instead of years, we do it by decade. So the first turn of the game is early 1170s. Then mid-70s is the equivalent to the retreat phase and adjustment, and there's some papal things that go on. Then it's late 1170s, and then you have end 1170s where all the adjustments and such take place. So the actual deployment, let's say the Pope has declared a crusade. He then gets to select what the objective of the crusade is. Now, the objective doesn't have to be the supply center that triggered the crusade. It has to be something that the Islamic State that attacked controls. It could be any supply center that that Islamic State controlled. And the powers that go on the crusade treat it like a convoy. So if a, let's take it very simply, if the uh, Plantagenet character player has an army in London, he writes down orders for that and they can pass through any Catholic state or any Orthodox land without any problems at all. They cannot enter any spaces along the way that are Islamic-controlled supply centers or have an Islamic unit in them at the start of the turn. But it's like a convoy order. And they can land anywhere adjacent to the objective. Now, that that may sound complicated, but it really isn't when you have a map in front of you and you figure, okay, I can go from London through Germany, through the Byzantine Empire, and deploy right next to, say, Damascus. And you're sitting there. Now you use diplomacy points to move that crusader unit. And it doesn't have to attack Damascus, much like the Crusaders didn't just, you know, zero in on Jerusalem. This Crusader unit, you could order it to take Antioch mm-hmm. if Antioch was open, or another supply center that may be open. So just like the Crusaders kind of did their own thing once they got in country, the Crusading nations can have the Crusader units attack other things besides the objective. And as I mentioned earlier, if, if you successfully take Antioch, well, Antioch belongs to your power and anyone who helped you claim it as part of the crusade. So these things don't happen like turn after turn in the game. They'd, in fact, usually over a typical game, there's only one crusade, maybe two, but they can have devastating effects, or they can come to nothing. In fact, more often than not, they, they will come to virtually nothing, much like the Crusades, but I, I've seen them for 
I've seen them just devastate an Islamic state that was unprepared for it. it so it's kind of the, interesting. Yeah, on, on the on the Islamic states, you know, like the, you've got the Caliphate, the Sultanate, um, the Emirates. Let's see, uh, I, there are three Islamic powers in this game. The yep. Zengeds, who are kind of centered in Damascus and... Uh, oh, goodness. Damascus... Uh, b -b 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 I'm, I'm drawing a complete oh, blank right now. Anyway, yeah, there, oh, there's oh, also the Ayyubids oh. in Egypt and then the Almohads in, in Morocco and southern Spain. Is, is there a, um, like a counter mechanism for the Islamic states? Like, like Suleiman arises or... Well, they can kind of, uh, all, all kind of collectively called jihad or something. Yeah, like a jihad. No, there is not. And that, that is one of the comments that often comes into play from the Islamic players, is how come there's no corresponding Islamic... Well... A lot of it had to do with the real politics of the day, and the focus at this time was on the Christian crusading. So we just decided not to give the Islamic powers the ability to do that. So, it, yeah, this is a one-way street. It, it is basically Catholic Europe can they unite against all of these other enemies or are they going to break down into internal squabbling? And as often as not, the Catholics just fight amongst themselves as fiercely as they do like the Islamic powers. Yeah. I mean, it, in many ways it resembles the Reconquista in, mm -hmm. in Iberia where the sides would align with the, with the Islamics one day and with the other Catholics the next day and just go back and forth. So... Even there are seven Catholic powers under the current map. There are seven Catholic powers. There are three Orthodox powers, and there are no excuse me, two Orthodox powers and three Islamic powers for a total of twelve. Yeah. With the um, the, and, the actual oh sorry, you finish off, Baron. Well, what I was going to say is, I think I have your email addresses. I'll I'll just send you a copy of the rules and map, and it, you can peruse it at your leisure. But uh, I, we did our best to make this not only a and Alex came up with a beautiful map for it. By the way, yes, no surprise there. So what you'll see is an Alex Ronk masterpiece, along with rules that we did our best to make them as interesting and aesthetically pleasing as possible in addition to trying to make them clear. What we discovered somewhat to our dismay, though, is the playtest revealed some ambiguity in a couple of the rules, uh, primarily having to do with what the Pope can do as part of his issuing a papal bull. Mm -hmm. If you're the Pope, for example, you can issue a papal bull of crusading. Uh, that's fine. We've discussed that. You can issue a papal bull of protection, you, which means that basically he says you can't attack this power. And it's generally limited to one center. So the pope, the Catholic power who is also doubling as pope, could potentially prevent a rival from taking a critical neutral. 
or if the Pope is the French player, the Capetians, he could prevent, he could say that the Franks are under papal protection because they're just down to Paris now. It's that sort of thing. He also has the capability to do arbitration. And the last one is the Pope can do investiture, which basically means that a supply center controlled by one of the Catholic realms, he has the ability to try to get it to revolt against that monarch and become an independent Catholic neutral. And there are things each of the Catholic powers can try to do to prevent that. But uh, the, the position of the papacy, we didn't want the Pope to just be a tool of the player that controlled it. So we just tried and tried and tried, and I think reasonably successfully made the Pope capable of doing things that the Pope would want to do to further Catholic power, not the power of any particular dynasty. Can I ask a quick question just around the, um, the process to... Um, with the College of Cardinals electing the Pope. So if, looking at the rules, uh, each decade the uh, the Pope changes, but a game year is is a decade. So basically right. every two turns the Pope comes up for election. What's the process right. for electing the Pope? Is it every all the Catholic players all have the same number of votes? So like if there's seven Catholic players, there's seven votes, or is it based on um, you know diplomacy points, or is it based on supply centres? How does it all, how does that um, pan out, Baron? Currently, it's one player, one vote. And we have considered, that, like several players have commented, well, you know, I'm, I'm 12 supply centers. I should have more say than this one supply center power over there. Yes, there's something to be said for that. Our concern was that we didn't want it to be a snowball effect where once a player was able to grab the lead, if, if the position of the papacy would just ensure that it makes it easier for him. So we kept it at one player, one vote. If you're eliminated from play, obviously you lose your vote. The, uh, right now, the Islamic states and the Orthodox states have no vote at all, as you might expect, although Alex suggested that it might be fun to allow them to represent other cardinals, so to speak, and give them a vote. And it, that's something we're actually considering pretty seriously. And I mentioned before, if you're excommunicated at the time the vote's taking place, well, you don't get to vote. And there, there is an Italian cardinal. Now, Italy isn't a played power in this game, so what he represents is a, quote, neutral cardinal. And we've built various defaults that if certain things happen, the Pope will do this if he's Italian versus giving him an option to do it if he's a played uh, one of the players. But that's how the voting works. And, and you're right, the Pope dies every 10 years and a new Pope is elected. Pretty ruthless up there at the papacy. Oh, it's particularly in the early going. One of the things we noticed in the earlier play tests was the power of the papacy. The position itself became less and less desirable as the as the game came on because 
initially most of his powers were focused on his ability to influence the miners and get them to do things well. As the miners disappear, like they did in Ambition and Empire, then or, you know, what's the point of being the Pope? Big deal. Uh, the power to call a crusade? Eh, okay, that's nice. So we wanted to give him powers that would be meaningful throughout the entire course of the game. And that, that's why how we came up with these papal, papal bowls that allow him to do various things. Now, in the very last playtest, we discovered we could do better and be more accurate, realistic, if we did a slight tweak on the sequence of play, what, what things happen before other things. We, it's, it's really interesting in that you try to foresee every single possibility and you start a play test and immediately someone goes, what if this happens? And you go, oh, geez, I can't believe I didn't think of that. But the, those things happen, particularly with a game like this one. So that's why we have a few tweaks. Just we're going to adjust the sequence of play a little bit. And we decided we're going to beef up the Frank position or the Capetian position because, you know, basically everyone says, oh, Frank's too weak. France is too weak. Well, I'm not sure that's true, but we're, we will tweak it to see if we can still keep it in its historical perspective and not turn it into a monster. Because it turns out the French have, uh, I should say the Franks, have such excellent access to supply centers that if we're not careful, we've just created a beast. So, it, I, I, like I said, I love this variant. Uh, it is so fascinating, and when you get a lot of players involved, the, the dynamics can be just fascinating. So, but it is. I was just going to quickly. Sorry, you you finish off, Baron. But um, again, we are we are currently in hiatus. When I revive it, I figure it'll take us. Of, it's always difficult to find twelve players who want to play a very complex variant. So recruiting is extremely challenging particularly for someone like me who is not as adroit as, say, Alex is in exploring all of the mediums that are available to recruit players. But uh, we'll get that game going again. It's just too good a concept. Yeah, I'd actually expect that something over at Playdip, if you had someone like Alex who, again, he obviously provides a certain amount of his time to you know GMing tournaments and so forth. If you get him at the right time, I'm sure he'd probably be you know able to kind of help facilitate and bring that across to Playdip, which would be just, even within a forum-based game, it would be amazing. And I say forum-based game because I can't see how you would code some of these rules into a um, an actual web-based um, variant of it. No, no, I... I... I wouldn't know how to do that either. Although, they, someone was actually able to take Empires in Arms and code it. So that if for years it appeared on DP Judge. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it or even heard of it. But for a while, DP Judge was the, the standard for online adjudication mechanisms. Unfortunately over the entire lifetime that Ambition and Empire was available, 
Not a single game started. I was I was horrified. Yeah, such is life. But then uh, it came on board just as DP Judge was starting to collapse. So the the whole site kind of wound down, and I I don't know why because it was I thought it was an excellent site, but uh, I guess it isn't space age enough for most of the players these days. It's all about interactivity. Kana, do you have any last final questions at all before we wrap up? I I do have one question for you, Baron. Um, sure. It, it, in your like, this is more like a, a generalized question. In your mind, do you think that there's any particular period of history or part of the world um, that is just ripe for a variant to be developed that hasn't been done yet? Is there, is there something that jumps out that goes, oh, the maybe the the, the colonization of South America? Or I, I'm not sure, but is there? part of history do you think that's just crying out for a variant to be made um, going well, forward? You know, my thoughts on that is that, one, I, I am such a Europhile, and all of my studies have been regarding Europe and at the back and forth, but it, it's sometimes hard to find new, new ground to cover there or to do it in a new and exciting way, but people continuously surprise me. But I was reading some of the history of the Mongol Empire recently, for example, and that that whole interaction of what was going on in Asia at the time. Now, obviously, if you're going to do something, for example, of... Asia in the late 1100s, the Mongols just overran the place. So maybe that's not the best time, but it's always good to look at situations where there's suddenly a huge flux of change, and they're always ripe for good diplomacy variants. I've found, though, first off, I, I'm, I'm kind of a map snob. Beautiful maps attract me. Most of the maps that used to be drawn for variants look like someone's third grader took it home and they pinned it on the refrigerator. Some of them were just so ghastly you'd go. If they invested that much time in their map, uh, I mean, what type of variant is this? So stuff like that would just turn me off. The other thing is, unless the game is played a lot, it's surprising the unintended consequences that you discover when you make tweaks. And sometimes it's just hard to get that right balance. But in answer to your question, I think there's just about any time period you can find in human history that, and I I do believe diplomacy games should have at least seven players. I, I just, I just believe that. Nice random number, I guess. Uh, there are so many periods that you could pick that have that number of contestants, or you could expand the scope of the map sufficiently to include seven players and have a go at it. Sure. Excellent. Uh, yeah. 
Um, that's, that's, this has been a fantastic interview, Baron. Um, I'm, I want to uh, wrap it up, though, because I think I can't tell. I think it might be Mrs. Amby or somebody in the backyard at the moment, and this microphone's picking all sorts of noise of stones being, you know, moved. Um, so Probably the people booing. Um, so I'll, I'll wrap things up. Um, you mentioned a little bit earlier about sharing the rules and the and the map for College of Cardinals. Are you comfortable with us putting that up on on our website and linking through to it? Oh, uh, I I would have no problem with that at all, with the caveat that it 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 is going to there there will be tweaks, minor tweaks, but there will be tweaks. No, that's cool. Yeah. Totally understand. Excellent. Okay. But yeah, please feel free. The more the more people that would express interest in it, the, the happier I'd be, and the more motivated I would be to start working on it right away. Good stuff. Just before you wrap it up entirely, I will tell you my real passion in life has been the design of a strategic simulation of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. It's a <laughs> two-player game that a friend and I have been working on since 1981. And for two weeks of every year, we get together and do nothing but play this game. And I'm staring at the map. It's in my room right now. It's about four by four, hexagonal. It's a classic board game with uh, the old half-inch by half-inch counters that you can stack on each other and stuff like that. That, designing this game based on a fictional work of art, has, has been my passion now for like the last 40 years and probably what I'm going to spend the majority of my time working on after I retire. And it's a, it's a great scenario to be working on that particular world. That would make a good diplomacy scenario, though, unfortunately. At least no. I don't think so. Yeah, unfortunately not. <laughs> All right. Well, allow me to say thank you very much, Baron, for, for agreeing to be interviewed um, with yeah, us. And I, I appreciate you not falling asleep while I was talking. That was very polite. No, I, I, I found it very interesting, everything you had to say. So thank you uh, from me. And, and likewise from me, Baron. It has been a really, really uh, interesting interview today. So um, thank you very much for your time. Okay. And uh, I will... I will mail that to you. My wife is telling me I've got to do something. Uh, go figure. So I will send you the map and rules to College of Cardinals as soon as I can. Good stuff. Love a copy. Awesome. Okay. Very good. Thank you again. Gentlemen, very thank you very much. Very much. No worries. Thank, thank you very much for your time. There we go. How there are you? <laughs> Cheers. Fascinating stuff, eh? Hey? I find it amazing that a guy that has contributed so much to the variant community in diplomacy has played so little diplomacy. Although he didn't say how many games he's actually GM. No, I'm talking about playing, not GMing. No, I know, but I forgot to ask him how many games he actually has GM. That's a good point. It might be hundreds, thousands, who knows. Probably not thousands. Yeah. Maybe hundreds. Hundreds. But it... It goes to show that you can have a perspective on the game that is not that... It, sorry. You can have a perspective of the game that 
transcends actually playing. It's just not being necessarily a that the game. being a participant. You know, there's that enjoyment of being the GM of, of these things as well. Well, look, a great example, I think, is some of the, the admins of the various sites. I mean, we know that Ollie at VDIP hardly ever plays Diplomacy. Correct. He says he yes. never plays. Although um, he does play on a German server. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Das ist gut. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, other people as well. I mean, from my conversations with, with Dipsy, I think he, he occasionally plays, but not a lot. You know, and Kestis, you know, he yeah. did it as a as a as a labour of love. Yeah, you know, it was a, a bit of a side project. As a side project because it was created really interesting um, programming challenges. Yeah. And and Baron von Powell obviously is in a similar boat. Yep. You know, it gives us amazingly well balanced maps like 1900. Yes, and the um, ambition and empire. Yeah. As well. And and then building. I mean, sorry, obviously, and then just. Building on some of the work that's been done to date with his his earlier work there with balance, with ambition and empire having some of the diplomacy points components, and then taking it to the next level with that College of Cardinals concept. Oh my God! Yes. So he he did he did email us yep. um, the, the the rules of that and the map of that, and we'll put that up on the uh, website and we'll stuff. Put that up and make sure that everyone's you know um, attributed to to that properly um, but I, 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 was, I, I looked through that particular the rule set and I can see what he was talking about with in the sense of it's complicated rules yeah. and it is it's complicated rules um, just, just the list of contents goes over two pages right about that. a bit more than um, that no no just the contents oh the contents yeah, yeah. yeah um, having said that how good would it be to sink your teeth into it? Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it has to be one that you. Okay. All right. I might, all my games are winding down. I want to sink my teeth into something. And you just like. What's that fucking noise? That's gone now. You, you just like devote your attention to that one game for a period of time. Yeah. You know. I think that that would be how I would play it. Yeah. Two pages of contents. Yeah, two pages of contents and like about 50 pages worth then, of uh, rules. 60, 61 pages well, of 60 rules. 60 pages, oh, so that's what, no, two pages. Well, rules of contents, and, so. and, and advice. And advice and, and interesting discussion stuff. Around where Which shows the maps from. as well. So I think back on page 56 is the page that we'll link to that actually shows the map. Yep. Or maybe take a screenshot of that. I wonder that if I can take a screenshot, yeah, and just chuck it in. Chuck the, it in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, very, very generously of them. They've, they've, they've developed. He's developed with Alex, um, you know, maps for play by email with abbreviated names. There's, he's developed a whole heap of different sets of maps um, for different scenarios. Yeah, you know, which is which is quite nice of him. No, it's 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 interesting. I think um, I can't remember if I sent through to you the email from. Um, from him, which actually explained that yes, there'll be another game probably about 2020. So next year they're looking at probably another test game. Yep. Maybe though, if, if you know um, Alex Ronke kind of wants to give it a bit of a bit of a tweak. Yes. It might be a more yep. a, you know a play by forum thing. It might be a Discord thing. I don't know. But um, yeah, he's kind of said, look, hey, if you're interested, happy to have you participate. 
like I said, it's got to be, if, if, if my games are winding down or coming to the ends of most of my games... I think you can plan for another year in advance for 2020, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, if I knew in advance. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, uh, great guy to talk to. I really yeah. like that. Yeah. So, um, it actually, it'll also be interesting now that he's getting towards, the pr- as he said, he, I think he's mentioned a couple of times he's approaching retirement, so I think that'll kind of free up a bit of time and he may kind of take some of these things forward, which would be great. Provided he doesn't get too sidetracked into um, Lord of the Rings. Yes, absolutely. Not that there's anything wrong with being sidetracked into Lord of the Rings. Um, no, 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 no. Just remember, keep a little bit of um, space for us diplomacy fans. Absolutely. So, um, great interview, lots of fun. So, um, we'll see how how, um, how that one pans out in the future. Um, so, we were, in the last episode, we were doing a bit of a what's going on in, in Around the Grounds, plus a bit of a new variance um, composed altogether. Whilst yep. we're talking about Baron Von Powell and obviously working with Alex Ronke on some of those elements, um, Alex has also put out a playtest variant which yes. is a uh, like a Norse mythology one. Saga of the Nine. Saga of the Nine. That's a nine-player diplomacy variant. And he's co-designed it with Chris Hellwick. So um, this is something which is um, a bit of a... Being mythology-based, it's a bit of an alt histories thing where um, it came, I think, from his experience with a, a map which was put together in the God knows when. Um, you know, I don't know. It's like a it old, really super old school map. I love, school I love map. these, I love these yeah. visual maps. But it's, it's kind of like during that period of time where in, in, in human understanding the assumption was when it comes to land, I'm assuming this, when it comes to land and water, everything's got to have a bit of an equilibrium, you know what I mean? Yep. So this map is actually predicated on this um, mythical continent, which is um, based around the Arctic Circle, but it's like a—I know—I'd call it a donut, but like broken, donut. broken into an Arctic donut, broken into quarters. What's that one? What's that thing in the middle? Polus Arcticus. Polus Arcticus. Yep. Um, hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so it looks like there's little rivers that run into the centre of the continent, like little deltas this. and things. Yeah. Yep. Um, I like it because it gives like a different a different point of view of the earth so you can see here like you can pick out oh yeah that's actually Norway oh yes and we're running around we're going over the northern areas of Russia and then we're sort of hitting um, the northern parts of North America and what's yeah, this one this, this, is, one's, no, this uh, is east coast North America and that's west coast North America oh, correct, and that's yeah. like the Rus in Russia and yep, it's probably yep, more yep. the Siberian and, and then you've Greenland got Greenland there, there and then you've got rolls. three players yep. around the uh, the donut. The great the great saga of nine donuts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Alex will be impressed with your uh, summary of that. Um, but look, it's a very interesting game. I, I, I said I said to Alex, look, he said, look, hey, would you like to play? And I said, look, I'd like to play, but I have too many games on at the moment because I've got worked out I've got seven games currently going and two games about to kick off. Yeah. And for me, that's just too many games. I can't yeah. commit to one more. 
I, um, I, I did the silly thing because I'm on holidays now of joining a couple of games. So I've, I've well and truly overcommitted myself. Are you in like all. three games? Yeah, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> it is three. <laughs> no, no, it has a, a few more than. Yeah, is it four? Yeah, oh I'm treading on the wild side. And I must yeah. say, I must say. You, you you don't keep up when, when you when you're under pressure and real life stuff. You do drop your bundle a bit because you were in the um, uh, what was it in the uh, a World at War 1937 game. Apparently, I found out after you had NMR'd that you were playing Thailand and you were kind of just failed to put in orders consecutively in the game. Just said thank you very much, Thanks Mr. Kaner. You you're later, just uh, um, you know you're a waste of space. I'll waste see you later. of space. Um, Having said that, I did get to experience, experience the um, the new NMR system from the point of view of someone who's NMR'd. Oh, yeah. Um, so you're allowed a certain amount of NMR's based on how, how good your reliability, how many bases you've played NMR's reliably. being no message. No, no moves received. No moves responded. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and it's called excused NMR's, right? So you're allowed to, to miss a certain amount of turns without there being a penalty right. essentially based on how reliable so you were so bad you missed two and you got kicked out yeah but because I've got a relatively good reliability how, it how kicked me out but Did I you? didn't get penalised oh. because I had enough excuse no move enough excuses enough excuses up my sleeve yeah I know I'm but, bad um, but I'm but not I'm that bad. bad but I'm now down to zero Excuse, no more excuses. Yeah. Excuses. Okay. So I have to build up my excuse, excuses again to be able to um, NMR again without a penalty. Not, not I must admit, I can't um, take the piss out of you too much on that one because I recently NMR'd in a game and played it. This game's just started. Oh, okay. Literally well, just started. Okay, so sorry folks, we're just going to ignore what I just talked about and we're going to go on what Kana was talking about. What is this game, Kana? The, 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 the Europa Renovation. Holy yes, Empire. Uh, oh, oh, shit. Oh, no, 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 well, no. You can That's say the that. name of it. Yeah, sorry. You, you're not playing the Holy Empire, are you? No, I'm, there isn't a Holy Empire. Just, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Have another drink. Have another drink. Anyway, so it's just started. Anyway, but, but. Back to the Vikings. Oh. Yes, back to the Vikings. Back to the Vikings. Um, love it. That whole, that whole Viking mythology period is, is, is fascinating to So are you going to get in touch with Alex and say, hey, you might be in? I might. I might. Do you reckon you can kind of juggle it? I might be able to juggle it. Because I know that type of shit... That type of shit appeals to you, as well as Southeast Asia. Yes. Yep. I'll tell I know you what, what the most, the most, you know, that, that, that TV show Vikings. Yes. I want to throw the television out the window whenever that comes on. Why? It's so it's historically inaccurate. Oh. Like it's just a, so. Whoa, 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 whoa. Anyway. You are being that's, Mr. Historically that's Inaccurate. Historically that's my role. Historic snob, are you kind of it's, it's throwing the. Literally one of those ones that just drives me fucking up the wall. I kid you not. I watch it anyway. But. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. So, um, so that variant is literally just starting as a kickoff. I says yeah, so reserves welcome. Does that mean they've already filled the nine spots or not? Um, so, yeah, 
nine spots have been filled anyway, so there well, you go. might want to just put it behind as a reserve. As a reserve in case someone drops. Yeah, you'd out. be okay with the reserve. I'd be okay doing yeah, yeah. yeah. Have a bit of a donut. Have a go at the donut. Yeah. Um, and it's got some of that um, minor oh, power. Oh, was it potential players? Okay, yeah. So there's nine potential players. And there's so far. Oh, I'm down as an observer. Observer and reserve. No, I'm not a reserve. I'm just a observer. Observer. You might put yourself down as a proper reserve. Viking reserve. You are a Viking reserve member. So that's the only new variant we've got at the moment. Although by the time this comes out, maybe something else no will happen. No doubt there will be. Who knows? Yep. And by the time this comes out, will we have played our game in Brisbane? Probably not. So it'd be up and coming, so worthwhile giving another shout out to remind people. Oh yes, people. good idea. Okay, yep. so yes, good good point. Thank you, Kane. So um, the weekend of the 27th, 28th of July, we're planning to have a game in Brisbane, a face-to-face game at Vault Games, yes. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Street in Brisbane, we might, CBD. Um, how about we get some recordings on the on the actual day, perhaps? We'll the, see if people the, are comfortable, people with, are that. comfortable with that. They might maybe. kind of freak yeah. out a bit with all these... What, we've been well, we'll see how that one goes. <laughs> so, um, if you're interested in that, if you're in Brisbane, you're in the southeast Queensland region, or maybe if you're just in Australia and you go, "Hey, I'm crazy, I, I I'll fly up for that." Yeah. yeah, it's nice up there. It's, it's sunny and, and warm. Yeah, not of. like this freezing south southern weather. Yeah. Um, although it's not as warm as where Mrs. Amby is at the moment. Where's Mrs. Amby? She's having cans. Oh, no frost there. You know. My, my brother lived in Cairns for a couple of years, and he reckons that the second the weather dropped a couple of degrees, everyone got out their parkers, and I said, well, how cold is it a couple of degrees drop? And it's like, oh. Went from 27 to 25. 27 to 24. Sorry, that's Celsius, yeah. not Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's the end of the world. Yeah. Still. <laughs> Lovely part of the world. Never been to Cairns. Been to Townsville. Oh, I've been both, but both for work. Fun. Yeah, no. no. <laughs> Although I appreciate it, and I'd like to go back to them, particularly Cairns for. Um, and that's a good thing. Sammy's been up there. She's with her friend, and she's like, "Oh, we should come up here. It was a lot of fun." So yeah, I hope I'm going to have a lot of fun. Okay, go up and have fun. That's right. All right. So, round the grounds. Round the grounds. What else have we got that we haven't touched about? What games? So um, I talked about before, I think in the last episode around that War in the Americas one and how I'm presently going on that. You've got a... I already, I'm also in another game at Play Diplomacy, which is a Versailles game. And that's the one that I NMR'd in. And um, from that point of view, that one's not going very well at the moment. Oh, downhill from there, right? Yeah, it's a bit of a... Um, so this one's um, this one's not anonymous. I am playing as uh, the Soviet Union, and um, wait a sec, I'll go into the map because you probably can't see it from where you are. The game is called Forty Eight Hour Versailles. I'm the Soviet Union, which is the purple. Oh yeah, no. and I'm being just smashed at the slaughtered. moment. Yep. And this was, um, I must admit, good gameplay by my. Um, by your opponents. Yep. Opponents. So, Turkey and I entered into an alliance, which worked, went very, very well until he stabbed me and took Sevastopol. Um, uh-huh. 
Oh, turkey's green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So yeah. I kind of actually, I unfortunately trusted the man and gave him the black sea. Oh, and then left um, Sev, Sev open. Um, 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 um. Yes. See, see, smell, that's you the smell the malt now? Oh, yes. It's, it's great, strong. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, and then Poland attacked me and Russia also attacked my miner, which was Czechoslovakia. And I think there's probably in about one, maybe two game years tops I'm out. I'm down to two SCs at the moment, which is Finland and Sebastopol. And, um, St. Petersburg. Yeah, no, you're screwed. You're I'm totally yeah. screwed unless all the other guys start attacking each other. No, they'll do that after you're gone. If they're smart, they will. But and the other one that you're also out of the, getting close to is Edwardian. <laughs> you know. Edwardian. So you're, you're getting shafted by the Desert Fox, Tassa, and is it barbecue sauce or is it Eki? Um, Eki and barbecue sauce. Are destroying you. So, Edwardian, for those of you oh, who... Oh, no, okay. So, the Desert Fox is giving you a bit of love over there. No, no. no? Okay, so let's talk about this it's game like, a little bit. Okay. So, and this is actually probably good. Can I just digress for a moment? This is a non-anonymous game. Yes. I think, I think Kana, there seems to be a couple of games that we are doing this dance of... I don't know. Being explicit about what's going on on the map because we're in it. And it's well, we can't go into details because we keep playing these anonymous games on VDIP where we can't talk about what's going on. Yes. And we can't talk about what's going on to each other because sometimes we're actually in the same game. Correct. Yep. So, uh, uh, obviously, you've, you've got yourself down maybe now as the as a Norse reserve. But, you, but we might need to both start thinking about non-anonymous games for a while so we can actually talk about these things rather than just vague conversations. Vague yeah. So Something the listeners kind of think, yeah. well, you know, we actually understand what's going on rather than, yeah. See, the problem is I like, I like gunboats. I like yeah. to play gunboats. I like yeah, gunboats. Like, so but we, we shouldn't be able to talk about a gunboat. Really? Which is a letter of the law. Are we both in the... But in a gun, hypothetically, if we were in a gunboat... That's not anonymous. That's not anonymous. We still shouldn't talk about it. Because we could be affecting what's going on in the pool. There's no communication. That's true. Yeah, good point. Yeah, okay, good point. So we can't do that. So it's only really full press. Really. So it's either full press or we just do a, a dance around the topic. Or we pick... Or we pick games which we're not in and observe them as observers, spectators, and discuss what we think's going on. But that's just not as easy. Well, okay, so we have no skin in the game on those. And I find at the moment... I've, and as we put a bet on it. I've, <laughs> <laughs> oh, pay up, Mr. Keener. Um Look, yes, but I think the problem at the moment is that you, when you've got no skin in the game, it's a little bit... Hard to care. Hard to care. Yeah. And also, like, if I'm in, say, seven games and you're only three or four, I find it hard then to kind of actively participate, even as a observer. Yeah, sure. Anyway. Send us your advice, folks. What should we do? And if we kind of... The suggestion is Kana play more games, expect more <laughs> NMRs from Kana. I'm at my... Oh, yeah, anyway. So what's going but on in this Edwardian? This Edwardian game, 
I think I may have actually I think I may have actually created this game. I did actually. It is entitled Smoking Jackets and Single Malt Whiskey. Single Malt Scotch. Scotch. Well that's what I said. Yes. I want to create this impression actually I did create this game. Because I want to create this impression of like like a a gentleman's lounge of sitting around with your, your velvet jacket and, and your, your big pipe. cigar yeah. and your or your pipe and a, and nice, a monocle. Yes, in yep. a monocle. Inside the blimp. Inside, yeah. <laughs> Who needs parachutes? <laughs> parachutes. <laughs> so overrated. Um, but this particular game, I think I actually set, I, I did set it up. I'm trying to remember the details now because I'm so drunk. Um, of having high placed players who like had a, a relatively good NMR rating, so you probably wouldn't be able to join, unfortunately. Oh, sure. And um, had played like over 300 turns or something astronomically high. Yeah. The okay. idea being, I didn't want people just to kind of turn up and just fuck off. Randoms. Yeah. I wanted good players to make a, to challenge me. G-Man does a good tournament on those. Okay. I'll talk about that in a second. Oh, is that yeah. his um, Cloak and Daggers? Yes. Yes. Yeah. He keeps emailing me about Cloak and Daggers and I keep going, I'd love to play, actually would love to play. But I've got two minutes on. Yeah. No, they're worthwhile. They're always high-quality players. Oh, yeah. yeah so maybe nice. I need to stop joining games so I can play the G-Main games. Yeah, when yeah, when you get involved, yeah. But I started this one, and um, so it was quite high stakes. So I think all the players were like about 1,500 VDIP yeah. points or higher. Okay, yeah. So quite quite significant. Has there been any NMRs? You NMR? Uh, no, I haven't NMR'd on this map. Okay. Right. The only time I've entered recently was just that one war in the Americas. No, not war in the side once. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. So what's happened here? You're um, down to one supply centre. I'm down to one supply centre, and this game is... It just keeps flipping backwards and forwards between alliances, like you would not believe. Oh, yeah? There was um fluid lines... There was actually... There was some solid alliance blocks and some... Unknown alliance blocks. So um, there was for quite a long while a strong alliance block between England and Germany. Yeah. Um, there was an alliance block between myself as France and Italy, who yep. is, was defined, who's, who's now dead. Defeated, yeah. Um, what happened to Italy? He got killed. By who? Uh, Austria and Turkey. Okay, but how did that come about? Why weren't you able to assist? with your alliance well because I was too allies. busy attacking England sorry being attacked by England ah so England I made some really bad choices on this map when it came to bills right. I started the game trusting England which was a um, an a, error a, a big error to the extent that I tended to build I can't remember what it was but it was like the units I couldn't really use at any point of time so if I needed armies I had fleets if I needed fleets I had armies Oh, okay. So just bad timing. Bad timing <laughs> and bad placement of those units. <laughs> oh, we've all been there. And then he started... For like, I started off owning France and I think maybe Belgium and the Iberian Peninsula. And I, I only now just have one C, which is Brest. <laughs> and literally, this whole game has been like, from my point of view... Once my, okay, in the... Sorry, the most recent turns has been a case of... Okay... Will you keep me alive? Can I survive the game? I don't care if you win or not. Can I survive? Or are you just going to kill my th- kill 
cut my throat. What can I do to survive? Yeah, yeah. yeah. happy for you to win. Happy for you to solo. Can I survive? Okay. Yes, I can survive. Okay, you got my support. As opposed <laughs> to someone else says, look, I'd like to keep you, but if I need your SC, I'm going to take your SC. And the next turn, they take my SC. Okay. And then automatically I go, hey, next person. <laughs> can I survive? I'll give you my SC. What, what, what can I do? Yeah. I can help you. So, um... Just tell me what to do. Yeah, it is. I'm a bit of a bitch at the moment, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. And I wouldn't mind this game actually to summon a solo so I can actually survive. But I'm actually really, really worried because by the time this comes out, hopefully the game's over. But hopefully not because I've been killed. How far are we away? Britain's getting close. So, uh, okay, so 18 supply, is it? Yeah, so I think it might be 18 supply centres for a victory. I can't remember. Okay. Um, Britain's on 15. Germany's on 14. Austria's on 12. Turkey's on 9. I'm on one. Yeah. Italy and Russia are defeated. Yeah. Okay. So, so what is it? Is it scramble to protect? But the problem is this literally came up. Every the alliances have changed backwards and forth so often. Like every game year the alliances change. And you've been behind the eight ball, have you? Well, no, because I'm still alive. But I don't know how much longer that's going to last. I think my, my luck will run out. Italy and Russia are gone. So. Mm. Okay, so I wanted to like, keep an eye on. I, I thought I Austria was going to go out, but Austria keeps doing a really good job of actually fighting. And just when you think he's not going to do anything, he's going to sit around and do fuck all, he then stabs someone. And he's done well stabbing Italy, he's done well stabbing Germany, he's done well... Probably the only one who hasn't stabbed is Turkey. Probably England because he hasn't had a chance to. Yeah, chances. I right? know yeah. oh, he's had a, he's had a bit of crack at England a couple of times, trying to get to Spain with my help when I was in Gascony. Okay, so that's on go. I'm, I'm just in some gunboat games myself. I've got um, well now three of that Europe Renovatio. Renovatio. Um, two of that 1898 gunboat. Fog of War. So you're in five games? Yeah. And that's it for me at the moment. What's this one here? That's um, that's the 1898. Oh, is it? Um, I thought it might have been so, that, so, that Rats so, and Mice one. So this one's just started, and I've decided that I'm going to try and do something completely different as this power that I am. And lose? And... I've, I've, you seem I've, to be I've doing made, really well at losing. I've made some really. I thought I would try something different, and it's. It, I, I'm not going to be in this game okay. for long. So, some word of advice: listen to your head, not your heart. Okay. <laughs> when I, you go, I, is that player going to fuck me over? No. What no. about the other player? Will they fuck me over? Yes. No. Will they fuck me? No. Oh, I see. Everyone loves me. Cool. Oh, I think they all fuck me over all at the same time. Great. Thank you very much. Is this a gunboat? This is a gunboat. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jeez. So, without giving away so the this game, is, this, is, this, this, is, this, is, this is, is a classic spring, 1898. Spring, um, oh, but I think you only start with one SC, don't you? You only start with one, yeah. Oh, my so, God. Um, well, one player is doing exceptionally well to be where he is at the moment with an initial starting of one SC. Yeah. And the other player's but, doing pretty good, too. But. You know, I, 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 I Actually, you've to, got 
So I two SCs? To... Is it built anywhere or can it build it's a home SC? It's built anywhere. Is this autumn or spring? Um, we're now in... So this is spring moves. So I'm about to do the autumn moves now. Um, okay. But, you know, I've got... Yeah, you got to watch this guy. Are you going to bounce him? Not sure. Not sure if I should. But, oh, um, yeah. You know, I, I'd, 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 I'd bounce. Or, I think it's safer. Or you thinking from this one to that one and take that one back? Yeah, if I can, I can do that. Anyway, but yeah, this is what we're talking about the vagaries. But <laughs> sorry, um, we, we actually honestly we feel really sorry for you guys who have no idea what we're talking about. We're talking about a map. Well, yeah, Cameron and I both understand perfectly well what we're talking about. We're pointing at things, going this one to this territory, blah 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 blah. And yeah. you know, you guys are like, yeah. What's going on? What's but, going on? Um, we can't see your fingers moving. What, seriously though, when this game finishes, um, if I'm anywhere near the finish line, um, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure it shares. But you know, considering we had a nice long chat with Baron, and we've done the ray in the grounds, um, let me check if there's any other games going. Is there on. anything else going on, Ampy, that we need to really chat about before? That's a good question, Kane. Let me quickly check my little thingy for Bobby's. We talked about the Divided States game before. Yep. We talked about... Oh, fuck. Oh, we talked about that um, game... Oh, yeah, no, 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 We talked about the Smoking Jackets and Single Malt Scotch. Yes. Just we talked previously, yeah. the last episode, about all the Europa Venatio. Yes. There's only one we haven't talked about. Oh, what's that? Well, I think we may have touched on it when you kind of nmr Oh, God. Yeah, Okay. Yes, yeah, so that's I was the playing Thailand. I'd World War II on Global Boogaloo. Yeah, this is a World at War 1937 game on VDIP. Yeah, um, and you apparently were Thailand. This was a, an anonymous gunboat game. Yes, and we found out very very quickly that the um, the power in the east was Kana, but he no longer is a power because someone else is. A new government has taken charge in Bangkok. I, I felt really bad about shooting myself in the foot on that one. Um, but there was there was a lot of work on it. I just missed it. I just missed it. Too but much I, left, I left the person who took over Turkey in a good position. Uh, Turkey? Turkey? No, you were Thailand. Thailand. In a good position. Um, <laughs> Same you know, leader. Wrong country. Yeah, exactly. You know, in, in a good position working with Japan. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of communication going on there, especially around um, getting Britain the fuck out of Southeast Asia and the and South France. Pacific. You know, um, that's what I said, France. You said Britain. Uh, both of them need to fuck off. Well, we got we got France out early. Yeah. You know, so there's no real. I think France is dead um, now. France is dead. I I, I, I remember leaving it off. Um, is France out of it? France, Mexico, and China are dead. Yeah, okay. Russia's down to 1SC, Britain's down to 1SC. It's yep. amazing, really. Yep. And so, Italy's down to 3. I'm, I'm happy to have left... You know, I'm happy to have left the person who took over Thailand in a really good position. Um, vis-a-vis Japan and that relationship there. Yep. Um, Japan was in a really sticky space to start off with. In that, actually, yeah. um, no one was actually going to work with him. At all, yeah. Um, and I was the only poor, I was the only sucker that went, oh yeah, okay, let's do it, let's work together, and it kind of worked out. Um, that their next challenge is getting is, is dealing with America in the Pacific. The really, thing, I mean, I, I'm obviously still in this game, and I find it without giving out too much details. 
at the moment there seems to me to be three alliance blocks. There is Japan and Thailand, right. and with a bit of Portugal. Portugal seems to be kind of part of that alliance box, just because they're not, they're not dashing heads, you know what I mean? I might be reading the tea leaves wrong. Um, there's Germany and Turkey in alliance, although Turkey and Portugal seem to be having something going on as well. So Portugal's in a good spot, he can choose which way he wants to go. Yep. And then there's the United States, which just seems to be its own alliance block by itself. Because seems I, I to be attacking do, I do everyone. wonder if he's, um, is he attacking whatever that, like, Portugal? Yeah, he is. Yeah, there is, yeah. He's attacking Portugal, he's also attacking Germany, so he's attacking both other alliance blocks. And he's attacking Japan. Yeah, so he's not making any friends, really. Well, he's yes. in a club of one at the moment. So, um, I'll, 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 I, I'm interested to see how, sorry, anyone listening to that will work out that I'm obviously not America. <laughs> That's the way I, I talked about America. So I think the alliance group that I'm in at the moment needs to work out a way to reduce three alliance blocks down to two alliance blocks. Right, okay. And that may mean America needs to... A, go, or B, join a block. So so this one's full press, but it's um, it's anonymous. Yes. Yeah. So it... it uh, yeah. I can't, I'm looking on this thing. I can't find it anywhere. Where are we? Uh, games. I don't know, because you're logged in as you, but you're looking at me. Yeah. So, um, look, that's an interesting map. Actually, one thing I'm really surprised about that one with is the fact that England's down to, what I said before, like one SC. And England started by far with the most, and for most of the game, had the most supply centres by far. Yeah, I think and everyone, everyone just went, but, but they were just so geographically dispersed around the globe, which is obviously the nature of Imperial Britain, that if everyone just went, no... Let's everyone, let's everyone, let's everyone yeah, fucking gang up on Britain and yeah. screw them over. Yeah. And I, I was I in a, at one stage, you went from like twenty odd supply centres down to about ten or something. Oh, he, col- he collapsed like a, you would not believe. And I, I, I don't think it was student in MR. I think it was just a case of because this was proper normal press. Everyone, everyone just, just kind of went, and it wasn't no. like I don't think there was like <laughs> there was not. Okay, I'll tell you right now, from my point of view, at least I'm not aware of it. There was no global conspiracy. I think there was just multiple conspiracies. Everyone just went at the same time, we've got to get rid of this guy. Well, I can tell you from, because I was in at the time, yeah. from my point of view there as Thailand, that there was no global conspiracy at all that I heard about. I heard about nothing going on from the from the Western powers. Yep. Um, and it was just like, okay, Japan, we need to do something about Britain. Let's do it. What can we do? It was, it was very much a local yeah. issue, a localised area that, okay, we need to deal with this. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, it went from being a powerhouse on by the numbers to um, totally uh, like a paper almost, tiger. Yeah, so I totally yeah. almost out the door. So, um, look, those are the only games I'm going in at the moment. I, I am waiting for... Two other games I think I might mention last game to start, which is American Fun Boat, which is a divided states game. 
and a um, Europa Venazio game, which is cry God for Harry. Um, wait for those to start. But I'm still on like seven games, and it's like too many games, Kane. Too many games. All right, let's wrap it up, Bambi. Oh, before we just go clank, clank, clank. Yeah. Just reminding everybody, um, when it comes to the website. Yes. You know, if they want to donate towards more drinks, getting us pissed. Patreon. Patreon. Um, and if you want to Patreon. buy stuff for your home, games. if you want to buy stuff for your home. Yep, you need you need shit at your house. You need you need you need, you um, need Alexa. To Alexa, say order Alexa, something. order me something. Make sure you go through the link on um, the website. Yes. So you order through us. Doesn't cost you a cent more, and gives Nothing. us a small amount of money so we can get some better audio. And you get the pleasure of listening to our very sexy voices. <laughs> you know. <laughs> In a better quality, <laughs> quality audio. And what else is there? There's like iTunes. Give iTunes, us a review. Stitcher. Yep. Stitcher give us a review. And, and I know there's the Twitter. Tell your friend. Feed. Tell your grandma. Tell, tell your grandma. She must love diplomacy. <laughs> if she doesn't, sign her up. <laughs> I'm Kana. I am Ambi. See Cheers, you guys. Bye bye.